Well, we are concluding our series this morning on being a fisher of men, and that means that you are someone that attracts people to Jesus. You know how to share Jesus with your life and with your words, with your actions, and we have been talking about this because we want to be a church that helps people know Jesus and live for him daily, and one of the ways that we can often do that is by asking good questions. When we ask good questions of one another and in the world, it really opens people up to great spiritual conversations. And as we move forward as a church, we've been, we've been working on something as a church that I, we think will really help, and that is asking each other two very important questions. So I'm going to talk about it a little bit right now, and then we'll hear more about it in the coming future. But the two questions are quite simple. It's, how are you doing with Jesus? Okay, how are you doing with Jesus? Try it with your neighbor. How are you doing with Jesus? Go ahead. And how are you on mission? Try it with your neighbor. How are you on mission? How are you on mission? The first one is kind of a personal one. How am I doing with Jesus? So if you're hanging out and you're having coffee with somebody from our church and you guys are just being friends and growing in Jesus together, and you ask these two questions, how are you doing with Jesus? Great opportunity to share with one another how Jesus is doing in your life. But the second one is just as important, and it's what we've been talking about in this series, and that is, how are you on mission? What are you doing with your life to share Jesus with those around you? Are you a fisher of men, or are you just doing life on your own? And so this morning, we want to launch that. Two questions that as we grow as a church and as we continue to have relational environments where we're making disciples and discipling one another, these are two great, great questions. How are you doing with Jesus? How are you on mission? Now, let me show you how this works with the video. Last week, you got to see uh, the story of Tim Kennedy. And this morning, I want to share with you the story of Elise Bremer. And she's going to share with you uh, how some people in her life continue to ask her, how are you doing with Jesus? And eventually, she said yes to Jesus. But you'll also notice in the video that she now is on mission. She's now someone that is leading a ministry in our church, and she's also helping other ladies understand who Jesus is in them and helping them get on mission too. So let's watch the story of Elise as we talk about being fishers of men. I'm Elise Bramer, and I am the director of Mom Connection here at Cheney Faith Center. Um, and I'm also a connector on the women's care team. And then Personally, I am a stay-at-home mom of three kids. They are seven, four, and just turned three yesterday. Um, I have a husband. We've been married for eight years now. That's me. <laughs> yeah, I did not grow up in the church. Um, I went to Catholic church when I was like five or so because my dad grew up in a very Catholic-oriented family. He went to Catholic high school, um, but my dad has a great distrust of the church. Um, so 
once we had like our first communion, then that was, we never went back to church again. Um, so I always had this kind of confusion about what church actually was and kind of only heard lots of negative stuff growing up. Some sorority sisters that sort of, once I was in college, I didn't know, but they had been praying for me for years. Um, because I didn't make all of the best choices, I guess. So I was on the front step of my sorority house and my sorority sisters invited me to go up to Crew, which is a campus ministry um, at Eastern. I, I, I honestly don't know what possessed me that day to say yes to them because I had said no for so long. Um, but I decided to go that day and that was the day that they had registration for a crew conference. Um, and that was when they had been asking me, like, you should go, to it's so fun, and I love crew conference. Um, so I had said to them that if all of conference is paid for, then I will go. Thinking, like, of course, this is like, 200 and something dollars that they're supposed to get to me by tomorrow. This is never going to happen. Um, and clearly I underestimated the generosity of Christians um, because the next day I got a phone call that said, congratulations, all of your financial assistance is paid for and we can't wait to see you at crew conference. Yeah. <laughs> That was a shock, um, but I decided that like, I, I'm true to my word, I'll go. Um, and then I went there with like every wall possible that was up. I was having a conversation um, with my sorority sister in the hotel room, like just as our quiet time. And she asked me some things about why I don't believe in God. And I think what it came down to was uh, some of my life choices that I felt like God could never love me, that I wasn't um, what a Christian was supposed to be. I feel really blessed that I do have like a defining moment like that was where as I sat on that bed like there was this like undeniable like peace and love and it was like something I never felt and from that moment on I was Jesus all in because <laughs> there was something that I couldn't I couldn't explain it any other way than, than it was God. And so I, from that time on, from crew conference on, I, I, um, I got in like a discipleship group and one of the crew staff members sort of helped me through it because like I didn't know how to read the Bible, how to talk to other people and how to love other people. So yeah, from that point on, it was Jesus every day. <laughs> I think in a lot of different avenues, I get to see God, which is fantastic. Um, and so I'm in a life team, and then I have 
Kate, who's always been wonderful and our coffee dates mean the world to me and she always has lots of words of wisdom. Um, and then I have friends who like to talk about God just as much as I do so we can bring it in when we're out having coffee together or when we're going on walks or things like that. Um, so there's always something new to be learning, I think. It's also led me to be able to do what I do in order to be able to lead other moms in Mom Connection um, and to help them grow in their faith because I feel like the mom I was when I first had Noah when he was born is not the same mom that I am now and how much God has led me through that journey in the midst of that, I so appreciated having another mom there for me in order to get through it. Uh, so being able to do that now for another mom um, just is great. All right, that's Elisa's story. And did you notice in her story that she had people asking her how she's doing with Jesus? But she had some people that were fishing for her. She had some people that were praying for, and she had some people that were attracting her to Jesus. And now she's on mission. She's helping other people believe in Jesus. She's helping other people grow in Christ. And she is now being a fisher of men as well. Today, I want to discuss our last piece in what it means to be a fisher of men, and the most important piece as well, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the most important part of you and I learning how to be a fisher of men, because it's through the Holy Spirit that you and I have what it takes and discover what it means to be a fisher of men. In John chapter 14, if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me or you can look on the screen or look at your phone, whichever you'd like to do. Um, Jesus begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And it's new territory for the disciples because they had understood the concept theologically of God the Father. They understood the concept of who Jesus was and how uh, Jesus was connecting them to the Father. But this conversation about the Holy Spirit was much more difficult and challenging. And now they are beginning to hear conversations with Jesus about who the Holy Spirit is. And Jesus is going to say some powerful things to them. And I want us to look at them because they are the same thing that the Holy Spirit does in us today. And in fact, Jesus walks the disciples through almost kind of like a little illustration in John chapter 14. And I want you to look at it with me. He starts in verse 8. It says, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? 
The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. Jump down to verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And you'll notice spirit is capitalized because we're talking about the Holy Spirit, not your spirit, the Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now Jesus gives us a some very good theological points here about who the Holy Spirit is and how he impacts our life. And I want to unpack those for us this morning. There's three things in particular that Jesus talks about here. And they are that the Holy Spirit helps us. He lives with us and he lives in us. Let's look at the first one. The Holy Spirit helps us. Now this one is interesting because the Holy Spirit's name actually is helper. The actual Greek word that we use to describe the Holy Spirit and that is used through a majority of the New Testament is the word parakletos, and it actually means helper. It means helper. It means intercessor. It also means advocate. It's used in other Greek writings to actually describe a defense attorney who stands beside you and helps you in a difficult moment of your life. So this is who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is someone who helps you. He helps you honor Jesus with your life, with your actions, with our words and our feelings. The Holy Spirit helps us live for Jesus Christ. And primarily as you kind of look at what the Holy Spirit does. One of his major jobs in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit helps us move away from our sin nature and closer and closer to life in Christ every single day as we live in the Spirit, not in our selfishness. The Holy Spirit also defends us against our accuser like Jesus Christ does. He stands with us when Satan is accusing us of our wrongs and, and the Holy Spirit reminds us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, there's something interesting about the Holy Spirit helping us in the Aramaic language. You'll remember that Greek is the written language of the time. There was Roman and Hebrew and Greek. And we don't understand this quite as well because in America, we, we primarily use one language. But if you go to other places in the world um, where there is a lot more multi-ethnic and cultural uh, diversity, you will find that several languages will be spoken even in the city you live in. Well, during Jesus' time, Greek was being spoken, Roman was being spoken, Hebrew was spoken, but the spoken language of the Middle East was Aramaic and still is to this day. And the Holy Spirit is described in an even deeper meaning in Aramaic. In Aramaic, the name for the Holy Spirit 
is parakleta. And these two words are actually two words put together. The root word parak means to end or finish or save. And the word leta means the curse. So when you put these two words together, parakleta, you end up with the name that is the Holy Spirit, which means the one who helps you end the curse. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He helps you and I end the curse of sin in our life that has a hold. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and we believed in Jesus Christ, it became that moment where we could separate ourselves from our sin. But every single day, the Holy Spirit is the one who helps end the work of the curse of sin in our lives. See, the Holy Spirit helps us. Next, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would live with us. He'd live with us. Now, this is great too because Jesus is telling us that we are never alone, that the Holy Spirit is always there with us. Wherever you go, the Holy Spirit goes. And we need that. We need the Holy Spirit with us all the time because we need the light of Jesus Christ to shine all around the world. Have you noticed at all that there are some dark places in our city and even in our world? Have you noticed that? And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to go with us into those dark places so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can go there. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to impact the atmosphere and our city and the people groups that don't know about Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit to go with us to do those things. And then throughout life, life can be hard. Life isn't always easy. And isn't it good to know that in the middle of those hard times, the Holy Spirit is there with you. He's there with you in the middle of your most difficult situation. Like if you're trying to stop an addiction or break a stronghold in your life, the Holy Spirit is there with you. He's helping you. He's in the middle of your temptation, the physical urges, the mental battle. The Holy Spirit is there with you. And you think about those moments of your prayers. When you are praying fervently, the Holy Spirit is there with you. When you are praying for a difficult situation in your life and you're feeling it deeply, the Holy Spirit is there with you. When you're praying for someone and maybe this situation is unlike any you've ever experienced and there's some sort of demonic influence that you can know and you sense and it's real around you, it's good to know that the Holy Spirit is with you in the middle of that moment. And when you are praying for the salvation of your friends and your family and those that you love and care for, it's good to know that when we are praying, the Holy Spirit is there. In Romans 8, 26, the Bible says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. See, there are moments where we are weak 
And we need the Holy Spirit to be strong. And because he is with us, he will do that. There's a verse in scripture that is often a challenging one. But it says this great phrase that we often like about the Holy Spirit. And, and it's just simply this, that where two or three are gathered, the Holy Spirit is there with us. That's good news, isn't it? But what's interesting is the context of that verse. The context of that verse is that if you have a brother or sister that is stuck in a sin and you need to go talk to them, and that's really difficult, that when two or three brothers or sisters go and talk to that person, guess who is also with you? The Holy Spirit. And so in that difficult moment, the Holy Spirit is with you when we need to confront one another because we love one another. And, and so we care front with one another. We care for one another. So we talk about wanting Jesus to be the most important thing in our lives. And we have a conversation. We need to know that the Holy Spirit is there. By the way, we literally do not want that verse to say that where two or three are gathered, the Holy Spirit is there with you because that means the Holy Spirit's not with you when you're alone. That doesn't make sense, does it? We want the Holy Spirit to be with us when we're alone too, right? Maybe your workplace is a dark place and you go there every day. Maybe you're the only believer there. Isn't it good to know that when you walk through the door of your workplace, somebody else is walking in there with you? God himself, the Holy Spirit. The last thing that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit is interesting because it's actually a pretty radical change. It's a pretty radical change in how God was interacting with mankind. See, in the Old Testament and before Jesus, we don't ever see anything in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit actually living inside someone. There's all kinds of evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon someone or being near someone or uh, influencing someone to do something great or protecting the community or a person. But the, the term that the Holy Spirit would live in you is not a part of how you and I as mankind could live with God until Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. That was not a possibility. Because there needed to be an absolutely radical and revolutionary work of God for us that needed to take place and it could only take place after Jesus died on the cross. So after Jesus dies on the cross and rises again and, and people begin to believe in Jesus Christ, we see this model where the Holy Spirit is now in you. And what that means is that the sovereign work of Jesus Christ on the cross forgives all your sin, and now God the Father sees you different than he saw you before, which is completely sin-free. All your past, present, and future sin is wiped out, and the consequences of your sin are gone because of what Jesus has done. Because of that, the Holy Spirit can now live not just near you, not just with you, not just around you, not just upon you, but in you. Now that's a pretty radical statement if you think about it for just a minute. 
God is living in you. He's in you. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like that God is in you? Well, that's what Jesus tried to tell us in John 14. He was trying to explain it to Philip, but he was also explaining it to us. And here's what Jesus said. Philip, you need to understand something. I am in the Father. And the Father is in me. And it's the Father living in me that does the work. Do you get that, Philip? I am in the Father. The Father is in me. And it's the Father living in me that is doing this work. If you need a modern day example of this, this is like Star Wars. I am in the force and the force is with me. I am in the force and the force is with me. If you've seen the new one, you'll understand that. But that's what Jesus is saying. I am in the Father. The Father's in me and everything you see me do is because the Father is in me. And then Jesus switches and he says, guess what, Philip? The Spirit's going to come and live in in you. He's going to help you. He's going to be with you, but he's going to be in you. So just like the Father is in me, the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. And just like you see me doing things and, and the Father gets the glory, now the Holy Spirit will be in you and Jesus will get the glory. And so you and I, now this is our life. Our life is now the Holy Spirit in us. So we're in this intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit because he's in us, just like Jesus was in an intimate relationship with the Father because the Father was in him. Now that's a pretty profound statement. That's a pretty radical theological statement that God is now residing and living in you because of the powerful work of forgiveness that took place on the cross. Now, the Apostle Paul describes it like this in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says this, Now, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? Why is there no shame? Why is there no guilt? Why is there no consequence of sin? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, once again, Spirit capitalized. Now Jesus is talking about something interesting, a law of the Spirit. In other words, we know about physical laws, right? Put a brick over your head. Let go of it. What's going to happen? It doesn't float into the clouds. It hits you on the head. That's gravity. It's a physical law. Well, there are also spiritual laws in place in the universe. We just don't talk about them because we're a scientific community and we've ignored all of the spiritual laws. We don't think they actually coexist. But here's proof that they do. Verse 2 says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, there's a spiritual law at, at work in us. And that spiritual law is this, 
that when we believe in Jesus Christ for the first time and we say yes to Jesus, condemnation is not a part of our life, but also the Spirit comes into our life and the law of the Spirit is life. And death now eludes us. It's not a part of our life. It's not a part of our present. It's not a part of our future. Jesus did it on the cross and the Spirit is making it evident in our life every single moment of our life as we live according to the flesh instead of according to the Spirit, verse 4 says. Now, why is this so important? Why are these three things so important that the Holy Spirit is helping us and living with us, living with us and being in us? How does that apply to us being fishers of men? Well, turn to Acts chapter 1 with me and I'll show you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would help you. The Holy Spirit would be with you. The Holy Spirit would be in you. And then right before Jesus goes back to heaven, Jesus gives his disciples these last words about the Holy Spirit. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Can you turn to your neighbor and say gift? Go ahead. The gift, the Holy Spirit is a gift to you. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said these words about the Holy Spirit. Just hang out and wait. Something we're not very good at. But he said, just hang out and wait, and you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You will receive an even greater fullness of God's presence and power in you than you've ever seen or known before. It's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, John baptized you with water. That's an important baptism. But I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you will receive a power that you didn't know before. Now, mind you, the disciples have walked with Jesus. Do they know a little bit about power? I think so. They've been hanging out with God himself, and they have actually done miracles that Jesus has released them to do. But Jesus is now saying, there's something even better that I need you to have. And that is the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit in particular, because here's the last thing we need to understand about being fishers of men, and that is that the Holy Spirit gives us power to be a witness. And this is exactly what we need to be a witness for Jesus. We need power. We need supernatural strength and supernatural holiness to attract the world to Jesus. We need a power that is not our own to impact the city of Chini for Jesus. 
We need a supernatural ability to touch every person on the West Plains and at Eastern with the love and grace of Christ. We need a supernatural ability to take the good news of Jesus next door and to the remote parts of the world to people that have not yet heard. We need the Holy Spirit's power. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that many of the things he would ask us to do would require a power that we just don't have on our own. We would need the Holy Spirit to help us, to live with us, but most, most importantly, to be in us. Now, Jesus knew that we would need this, and so he told his disciples to wait. To wait for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is still real and alive today. And you and I need it today just as much as the disciples needed it back then. In fact, I would say that the disciples needed it at the beginning to launch the church of Jesus Christ and to see the gospel go into the world and for several centuries to see just powerful working of ministry. And you and I sit here today because of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in the church as a foundation that has led us to this point. But there has been, interestingly, if you look at your good church history, reformation after reformation after reformation, and during each reformation is actually a new influence and a new uh, revival of one person in particular, the Holy Spirit. Because often we forget about the Holy Spirit and we begin to do religion in our own power and Jesus comes along and says, no, we need a new revival. We need a new renewal. The church just looks dead right now. So it's interesting if in your church history, out of the dark ages, when we were doing religion on our own, comes some of the greatest church revivals as people focus on the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that we would need this. Now, the Holy Spirit baptism is different than water baptism. Water baptism is to affirm your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. It's how you openly in public say, I believe in Jesus. This is who I am. This is who I want to be. From this moment on, I will say yes to Jesus. Like Elise said, Jesus was, uh, I did Jesus every day from now on. <laughs> That's what I do. Me and Jesus, we're tight. That's what water baptism says. Now, when you get baptized in water, there is a physical and a spiritual change. The physical change is that you become all wet. That's it. You're just all wet now. You need a towel and a hairdryer. But there's a spiritual change in you during water baptism. And the spiritual change is that you have this renewed understanding of your salvation. This renewed understanding of your forgiveness, of your repentance, of your confession of faith. And it becomes this personal decision. And you realize, I made a decision to say yes to the free gift of salvation that Jesus has given me. There's also a second gift, the Holy Spirit. 
And when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, there are also physical and spiritual changes. In Acts chapter 2, when you move over to Acts chapter 2, you'll notice that when the first disciples got baptized in the Holy Spirit, there was a physical moment. The Holy Spirit came into the room like wind, and all of them began to speak in tongues. And the Bible says there were actual physical like little flames of fire above their head. Now you think, that's just such a weird thing. What, what kind of weird thing am I into? Well, it wasn't weird for them. It wasn't weird for a Hebrew person. If you're a Hebrew person and you've heard all of the stories of the Old Testament and you've heard the greatest story of, of the moment in your family's life generations back when God was the most significant, when you were walking through the desert and walking through the Red Sea and all these miracles are taking place, what was God's presence in a form of? A flame of fire. And now you come to believe in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit baptizes you. And what do you see on top of your head? A flame of fire. Are you confused? No. What are you now understanding theologically as a Jewish person? That the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, is in me. He's with me. He's helping me. He's everywhere around me. He's right here. And everywhere I go from this point on, the Holy Spirit will be in me. Now the Bible also says in this moment, they speak in tongues. They prophesy. There's a physical, actual thing that happens. They begin to speak in another language and declare the praises of Jesus Christ and it spills out into the street. There's a physical manifestation of a powerful use of a spiritual gift that could happen in you when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's also a spiritual thing that happens. The spiritual thing that happens is a Strong desire to be a witness for Jesus, to be a fisher of men, to share Jesus with the world. Now, one of our greatest examples in Acts chapter 2 is Peter. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. They wait about 10 days till Pentecost. They've just been praying and waiting for 10 days, just hanging out together in an upper room, praying, talking, waiting the Holy Spirit comes and Peter immediately speaks in tongues and goes right out into the street, preaches a message, and 3,000 people get saved. Now, is that a different Peter than just 10 days ago? Yeah, 10 days ago, he was denying Christ to a middle school girl. Now he's sharing Jesus openly in public, and he doesn't care what happens to him. And 3,000 people get saved. Could I add that maybe we need a little bit more of that today? What do you think? I think so. I think we need the Holy Spirit living in each and every one of us so that we can take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world, next door, and to work. Would you stand with me? For these reasons, Jesus said, I must leave. 
I must leave because the Holy Spirit must come. And when he does, everything will be new for you. And I believe the same is true for us. That as a church, we need to start inviting the Holy Spirit in more and more. That each and every one of us needs to pursue the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that in Christ and in the Holy Spirit, we have life and life to the fullest. That's real life to its fullest is Jesus Christ is our Savior and walking with the Holy Spirit, not in our selfishness. That's life at its fullest, life at its best. And that's why Jesus said you need the Holy Spirit to help you, to live with you, to live in you, and to give you power to be a witness. This is what it means to be a fisher of men. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you this morning for opening our eyes more to what you have for us. And I pray for each of us this morning that this might be a new idea about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It might be something we've heard before, but it's just getting revisited. It might be something I've heard for a long time, and I frankly just haven't been walking in the fullness of my baptism. Jesus, I pray that you would, you would help all of us to begin to think about this full living that you have for us. Would you help each of us to understand the importance of water baptism and spirit baptism, but to walk in the fullness of the Spirit? For those, Lord, that have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I pray that that would happen soon for them. That they would wait for you. They would pursue you. They would pray for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They would desire this fullness of the Holy Spirit alive in them. Lord, would you help us to be a church that is full of your Holy Spirit? That as we are full of the Holy Spirit, we would be fishers of people. That everywhere we go, we would want to attract people to you, to your saving work, to the grace that you've given us. We give you thanks and praise for this, Jesus, and we ask for a mighty move of your spirit in us as a church and in a community that we love and serve. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said amen, amen. It's good to see you in church this morning. Have a great week, and always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I.